I'd like to thank my sponsors, Celsius, for making this episode possible. Stay tuned later in the episode for more info. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Today's guest is hands down one of the most fascinating people we've ever had on the show. Memli Krasnicki grew up in Kosovo, a country located in the Balkans, which is about the size of Jamaica. Just a little over 10 years ago, I think about 12 to be exact, Kosovo officially declared its independence from Serbia, becoming one of the world's youngest countries. Memli played a pivotal role in conceiving and designing the government as vice president of the Democratic Party and a number of other roles. The story of their path to independence is incredible, as is the role played by this young former economic student and rapper. Yes, I, I said rapper. Memli was a big rapper in Kosovo. So during his time in government, Memli also managed to discover Bitcoin, which fundamentally shaped his worldview and in some ways, I would imagine, the development of Kosovo. So we have a lot to talk about. Memli, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Hey, Scott. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be in your podcast. Awesome. So before we get into the questions, once again, you're listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where twice a week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, and politics. Uh, some of the guests are all of those things, which seems to be the case today. So this show is powered by BlockWorks Group, a media company with over 20 podcasts in their network. You can check them out at blockworksgroup.io. And if you like the podcast, follow me on Twitter. You need to check out the website and join my newsletter. You can do both of those things at thewolfofallstreets.io. So Memley, is someone planning to make a, a movie or documentary about your life, or should we uh, go ahead and buy the rights to that now and get it started? <laughs> uh, probably not. Uh, I'm not sure if it would be an interesting movie uh, for a lot of people, but thank you. Uh, I haven't thought of that. <laughs> I, I think it would be great. So I want to go di dive right into your Bitcoin story and how you found Bitcoin, because I know that that was something you're extremely passionate about and definitely... Uh, as I've read before, has somewhat shaped your worldview. So how did you discover Bitcoin in the first place? Well, probably it was maybe about 2014 or maybe 13 that I first heard about Bitcoin and internet. Uh, and uh, I was, uh, it was an interesting new concept that, that I was introduced to. Uh, the problem was I kept uh, you know, searching the Google and, and other search engines trying to read stuff. But there was not a lot of uh, material, especially for the uh, uninitiated like myself, uh, to make it easy to understand. So one of the first things that uh, I would get, uh, you know, uh, was uh, were very cryptographic uh, related uh, uh, things like the Satoshi white paper and stuff that I, I was not really ready to understand that much. Uh, I actually tried to, to buy my first uh, Bitcoin at some point in late 2014. Uh, it turned out to be quite complicated for, for, for me residing in Kosovo. Uh, I, I, I really didn't know much back then. I didn't know what the you know, wallet was uh, or you know, how everything worked. The exchanges that were around were not uh, uh, catering for uh, the euro denomination, which is the official currency also in Kosovo. And then, uh, you know, uh, mostly due to my uh, 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 work, the daily job, I was uh, serving the government as a minister uh, throughout that period. Uh, it was on and off. And then at some point, uh, just before the uh, 2016 Halloween, um, I, I found one of the exchanges uh, which uh, was uh, basically quite quite um, uh, good in regards to, to, to the volumes on euro. So that's how I sent my, my, my money uh, for the first time uh, in the exchange and, and bought my, my Bitcoin uh, before the halving uh, in the anticipation of just like the last time we had the, the halving a few months ago in anticipation of, you know, the, the price increase and uh, stuff like that. Which worked fine. Uh, so I, I made my first investment in in Bitcoin. I think it was in June 2016, uh, and then I also bought some ETH, ETH and uh, Litecoin and whatever was uh, available um, in in the exchange uh, back then. There was not so many uh, cryptocurrencies around, uh, but that is uh, basically uh, when when I I sort of got into Bitcoin and uh, from that uh, from then on. I, uh, I was involved with day in and day out uh, more and more. I mean, whatever time I, I had spare um, uh, that I could use, I, I kept reading stuff. I kept understanding it better. 
and I uh, really got um, to a point where I became a, a believer in the whole uh, concept of, of, uh, of blockchain, uh, first and foremost, but of, of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. It's interesting. So a lot of us have a very similar story, of course, like you come, you hear about the speculative asset, you want to make money, right? And then you start to dig deeper and you understand how important it is. But not many of us are building a government while, while we're having that experience, right? So I, I would imagine that um, what you discovered about Bitcoin and blockchain sort of fundamentally altered the view of how you saw Kosovo developing. I mean, is that fair to say? Well, uh, I think in the ideological uh, uh, perspective, uh, uh, the blockchain and Bitcoin uh, fit in quite well with uh, with my beliefs with regard to uh, a small government and a government that doesn't interfere a lot with the lives of the people and uh, uh, something which somehow borders the uh, libertarian ideals. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a libertarian per se, uh, but being very, uh, very liberal in terms of uh, the economy uh, and free markets and uh, small government, I think it sort of uh, played well into what I, I believed ideologically uh, that gov how governments should work and, and, and what governments should do. Um, and uh, having in mind that we were building a new country, uh, it was like a startup country. Uh, it was, uh, you know, uh, uh, basically we declared independence, as you said, in uh, February 17th of uh, 2008. It was around that time when I think Satoshi and, and the pioneers uh, were working on Bitcoin. Um, I think uh, there are parallels that you can draw and uh, the way that Kosovo has developed, obviously we, we had to build institutions, we had to build a straight, not, almost, not, not from scratch completely, but almost from scratch because before that Kosovo un, uh, undertook a, 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 about a, almost a decade of um, uh, international administration uh, under a UN mandate. Uh, so most of the institutions were functioning. We had a parliament, we had a government, but still it was not fully independent. It was overseen and uh, finally overruled by, by uh, this uh, UN administration. And uh, obviously, um, I throughout uh, my time in, in government, be it in the executive branch or in the legislative branch, as, as I am currently, uh, I could say that it has, uh, at least on a personal level, informed my, uh, my way of thinking uh, and how government should work. So there are a lot of people who talk about small government and sort of libertarian ideals and the things you're mentioning. But as you said, I mean, that's actually a reality in Kosovo, right? I, I know that you have low taxes, right? I mean, maximum tax rate yes. is 10%. Is that correct? It is. So how are you able to actually uh, implement that and keep the company, uh, keep the country, which you said is like a startup company, but keep the country running? Well, I think it's important that, uh, you know, taxes are low. Uh, it's an incentive for, for companies to invest more. Uh, and I believe that there's, uh, the more investment there is, it, it's uh, a direct influence in uh, 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 more entrepreneurship. Uh, one thing that uh, people need to know is that Kosovo is uh, not only in terms of its independence, the youngest country in Europe and among the youngest in, in, in the world, but we also have the youngest population in Europe. Our average age in Kosovo is about 25 years. Wow. Uh, about 57% uh, of the population is 35 and younger. And uh, almost everybody in these age groups and, and further uh, speak English. They, they're well connected to the internet. Actually, the internet penetration rate in Kosovo is about 90%, which is more than some of the European Union uh, countries. And uh, people are well connected to what's going on in the world. So there's a lot of people that you know, have uh, really good skills in ICT and, uh, you know, entrepreneurship and in general. Uh, so uh, it was uh, very important that Kosovo uh, basically creates a, a, an environment, political, economic, but also a tax environment, uh, which is, uh, uh, which provides opportunities for uh, young businesses, small and medium enterprises uh, to thrive and having a, a, a set uh, uh, a profit tax, corporate tax of 10%, I think it was uh, very helpful. I mean, comparing to most of the other countries which have huge um, uh, tax uh, tax rates, 
this has been uh, helpful. Yes, I mean, for the country, it would have been easier to collect more money from, from a, a bigger tax, but that would have uh, definitely affected the profits and, and, and the incentives for, uh, for, for businesses, but also for the people, because also our um, income tax is scaled. It starts at 6% uh, for, for really slow, uh, low salaries, but it's 10% for, for the highest salaries. So uh, at the end of the day, I think it's just fair that you know, people keep uh, the biggest share of the money they actually work to make. And uh, in that sense, it's also uh, in that, uh, uh, let, let's say, center-right ideological uh, 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 sphere, which, with, which uh, I myself am uh, a member of uh, or, or a participant, uh, it, it plays well in that, in that sense. What other policies do you have in place that sort of echo this smaller government, uh, you know, more freedom for the people uh, sentiment? Well, uh, since, uh, you know, it's a new country, I think we had the benefit of uh, having uh, been able to see the best models uh, that exist out there in terms of uh, how we constitution, how we draft our constitution and how we uh, basically design uh, or state. Obviously, it's a, it's a parliamentary state where the, the parliament has um, uh, the, 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 the highest importance. It enacts laws, it passes laws, it elects the government, uh, and uh, the, the, the government, which is the executive branch, uh, basically is the, uh, the uh, uh, let's say, the, 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 the wing that, that implements these uh, policies and has the executive power. We have also a president which is uh, uh, doesn't have, in the American sense, the authority and the executive power, uh, but it's, uh, it's uh, let's say, it has some responsibilities, not completely like a, just a symbolic uh, a role like many other European countries have, uh, but still, I mean, the most important branches are the legislative and the executive. It's uh, quite a fair checks and balances uh, between us. Uh, on one hand. On the other hand, the Constitution is, I, I, I would say, very modern. modern. It provides for Kosovo to be not a, a, a country of one people. I mean, Albanians are the vast majority of, of uh, citizens in Kosovo, about 94% of the overall population, but we didn't uh, uh, create a country which is the country of Albanians and others. We created a country which is of, of its own citizens. Uh, and I think the equality and the equality of opportunities is enshrined in this constitution. We have, uh, I think, the highest level of protection for uh, minority uh, community rights, uh, uh, such as you know, guaranteed seats in the parliament, uh, no matter the number of the votes that they have. So, out of 120 seats in, a, in the in the parliament of Kosovo, uh, 20 are reserved for minority. The, uh, representatives and um, other things which uh, basically provide for uh, utmost respect of human rights and liberties and um, uh, obviously also in the uh, economic rights. Uh, overall, uh, we have tried, as I said, to get the best examples and the best working models from other countries uh, from, from their uh, experiences and, and put them uh, in, in this new country that, uh, that we've built. It sounds so sensible and so easy uh, <laughs> because, you know, I, I'm American, obviously, and the uh, two-party system is so entrenched here. It sounds like you sort of have the best policies of each side and it and it sounds simple. It's just so difficult uh, anywhere else, I guess, that's been established for longer to have those sort of sensible compromises. Um, because when you talk yeah. about the uh, minorities and, you know, the minority seats in parliament, that's something that would probably be viewed as very left in the United States, obviously, and the fiscal policy uh, would lean more right. So it's just really interesting to, to hear and, you know, you hear it explained. It just sounds so sensible. As I said, I, I want to touch on, go ahead. No, I mean, yes, uh, I, I think that could be interpreted, interpreted as such. But beyond uh, uh, the ideological divide that is, you know, uh, uh, everywhere, uh, here uh, the, the, the thinking was that we need to have a perspective on human rights of the people, first and foremost. And uh, quotas like this, or guaranteed seats for minorities, or a quota for the parliament, we have a 30% uh, guaranteed quota for women representation in the parliament. So uh, even though it's a direct election, 
and there's uh, multi-party uh, uh, elections and parliament. All these parties that running need to have at least 30% of women in their list. And no matter how many votes they each get, at least 30 uh, MPs of each uh, political party need to be from the ranks of, of women that are running. Uh, and, uh, you know, yes, sometimes this could be considered a bit on the left side, but they have helped. Now, I wouldn't say things are ideal. And if you ask uh, uh, various people in Kosovo, they will probably have their disagreements uh, normally with the government or the way that the politics are working, and rightfully so. I've been critical myself for many years, and Basically, that's why I got into politics, because uh, the, just the criticism couldn't fix things. So I thought I could, you know, do things from within easier than from without. Uh, but, you know, it's um, it's uh, still, it, we're 12 years old, you know, and uh, my eldest daughter is 12 years old. She's a preteen, so we're a preteen country. <laughs> uh, at least it doesn't behave like preteen girls though because they're they're yeah. terrifying um so, so you touched on the they factor are. yeah they are so you touched on the fact uh before that you have one of the youngest populations certainly in europe and probably in the world you know an average around 25 years and uh most of the country under the age of 35 is that a result of war and the way that the country was developed what what is that a function of uh, I think it's uh, it's actually historical. Obviously, the war has uh, left uh, uh, a lot of scars. Um, it's been 21 years since the war ended, but uh, it was a very difficult period. Um, and not only in 1998 and 1999, where there was uh, a, a proper, uh, you know, uh, a war uh, armed, uh, where we fought um, a, a, a liberation war against an uh, occupying force, which was in Kosovo since effectively since 1989. But throughout that period, these, these 10 years, uh, Kosovo suffered heavily. We lived um, a sort of a parallel life uh, because uh, the, the state of Yugoslavia was uh, disintegrating. Um, Serbia was creating wars with, with other former entities of Yugoslavia, starting in Slovenia, and then in Croatia, and then in Bosnia and Herzegovina, and finally in Kosovo. And throughout these years, uh, Kosovo was, was under uh, under uh, a, an apartheid system, which was effectively an, an armed military occupation. Uh, and I say a parallel life because we were kicked out of our schools. We were not able to to be educated in in, in the school buildings which we had. Uh, our parents were kicked out of their jobs uh, in the public sector, and obviously until then it was all it was. And uh, a lot of young people had to leave due to political, uh, but also economic reasons. And uh, that's why we, to this day, we have a thriving diaspora. A lot of, uh, there's about a million Kosovo Albanians living abroad, uh, mostly in Europe, but also in the United States and other countries. And um, all of this have, has uh, sort of, you know, affected the, the, the historical trajectory up to this day. Uh, but uh, also our, uh, the, the fact that we have young population is what we have, uh, we used to have uh, the highest um, I think it's called also in English natality uh, rates. Uh, so most births uh, per family uh, in all of Europe. I mean, uh, 50 years ago, it was uh, it was common for uh, Kosovo-Albanian families to have seven, eight children, and uh, that is what has uh, helped also the survival of our nation uh, under heavy oppression that we had even in in the time of Yugoslavia, and let alone after '89. Uh, that's not the case. Uh, uh, today, uh, but still, um, yes, we, 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 we maintain the, the uh, youngest age, uh, average age in, in, in European, in the Europe continent. So you're, you're 40, right? Or about 40. Um, so you're born in 1980 and mm -hmm. lived probably one life, as you said, for the first nine years of your life. And then occupation. So what was it like to be, I guess, nine, 10 years old and for everything to change like that? Because it sounds like you spent all of your formative years under occupation. Absolutely. And I think that has shaped everyone in my generation, and not only those born in the 80s, but everyone born from the 70s, I think, until uh, uh, in the 90s. Uh, but being a, a, a kid of the 90s, uh, we've had a completely different 90s here. Uh, than what everyone else in, in Europe or in the U.S. had for that matter. 
I mean, yes, there, there were uh, uh, there was the the some of the effects that you've had. I mean, movies and music and stuff like that, which were especially for myself, music was a refuge and it was an inspiration that you know helped me helped me helped me uh, 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 get get by and, and you know and and, and go further. Uh, but uh, it was it was very difficult. I mean, uh, I was in a fifth fifth grade i was just taught in fifth grade when i went to school on the first day and they said you you have to go back home uh, because they're not they're not allowing us to to go in and you know that's a traumatic experience for for any kid and uh, and especially for those that are you know in their very first few years of of education and then you know we had to go back and back and eventually the elementary schools had a completely segregated, uh, physically segregated uh, buildings where, you know, Albanians could go and Serbs could go. And we were like nine to one uh, in terms of numbers. Uh, and we still had, you know, cramped classes and what have, what have you. But then the, the high schools and the universities, they had to go to private homes. So there were a lot of people that basically just led their, their, their private houses and transformed their, their living rooms into, into classrooms. And that that went on for about a decade. Uh, so, on the other hand, it was difficult to get service in the public uh, health system. Uh, so, you know, there were there were Albanian doctors that were kicked out of their jobs, who basically made makeshift hospitals for for, for years. People got not only primary care but also uh, you know surgeries, and even a tax collection system, which was three percent of whatever everybody was making. Uh, to uh, to sort of uh, finance uh, some of these uh, some of these uh, public services, which were completely parallel. But on top of all of this, you know, we had the we had the the state-sponsored systematic oppression, and and even the physical uh, uh, the threat to your physical existence, which obviously culminated in 1980, 1998, and 1999. So uh, basically, I became a, a teenager uh, in a very difficult uh, period and uh, throughout my teenage years, uh, obviously, it was the culmination of this uh, of this difficult uh, uh, situation and period in life. And obviously, that has uh, informed our uh, way of thinking. Uh, it has informed our our um, uh, perception on the world. But I think uh, to to try to look at it from a positive perspective, it has helped us a lot in valuing uh, and giving worth to to some things that. Most of the other people in the in the world used to take for granted it's things like freedom and, and liberty and um, uh, equality and opportunity. So, but you escaped to London to some degree, right? You, I mean, I, I know that you went to the London School of Economics. So, how, without you know, uh, I guess formal schooling, you know, with the public schools, and how how are you even able to apply and be accepted, and you know? head out of Kosovo to London, that seems like an epic challenge. No, I, I, that was easier because it was in 2005 and uh, the war ended in Kosovo in June 1999. So basically I, I, I finished my uh, uh, elementary and high school education in Kosovo in those difficult circumstances, obviously. Uh, but still there was a formal system. And I think uh, when I think back, uh, some of our, 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 our teachers and professors uh, were, I think, quite quite demanding, maybe both because of the fact that they knew that this was difficult. So they really wanted to push us harder. So, uh, you know, it's uh, all props to them for, for uh, that huge contribution for maintaining a, a somewhat uh, normal uh, system of education. Then I studied in Kosovo. I mean, after 99, Kosovo was liberated. There was a huge um, uh, international presence, uh, which I mentioned, the United Nations, but also from NATO and, and, and uh, NATO soldiers who were here to maintain peace, uh, including a, a sizable uh, presence of American soldiers in one of the areas in, in Kosovo. And then, you know, things started to, to um, rebuild. Um, it was not an easy couple of years, but there was a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, will, a lot of uh, enthusiasm, uh, because it was the, for the first time ever that Kosovo was breathing uh, freely. Uh, so, for example, although about uh, more than 
uh, around a million of people out of less than two million were uh, kicked out of Kosovo as uh, we, we were expelled uh, by, by Serbian military and police uh, in mostly neighboring countries. About 400,000 were internally displaced uh, due to the, to the war. And in three months, about 90% came back. Uh, having in mind that this was uh, 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 almost burned to the ground, about 70% of old households were either burned totally or damaged. It was unbelievable. I mean, none of the UN agencies like UNHCR had any plans for that. They thought it's going to take years, but it actually took months because people wanted to come back and contribute and try to rebuild. And even people that, you know, lived and had a steady life in, in Europe, for example, you know, uh, due to them escaping the oppression in the early 90s, uh, a lot of them came back because they wanted to, to live in a free Kosovo. So we rebuilt the, the, the country, we rebuilt institutions, and obviously uh, came back to the buildings, the universities and whatnot. And I, I finished my, my studies in Kosovo, uh, and, and I finished my, my, my bachelor degree in political science in 2004. Uh, uh, actually early 2005 and then I applied uh, for my postgraduate uh, studies in, in London and London School of Economics was you know my first choice forever um, so oh, luckily I was accepted I was accepted in a few universities but uh, you know LSE was my first choice I wanted to study international relations there and uh, it was one of the best schools in the world in, in that field uh, so yeah I, I got an acceptance and I went to London and I spent a bit more than a year there uh, doing the, uh, completing this degree. Uh, and uh, it was one of the good experiences in my life. It's awesome. So you talk about uh, how music sort of during that era played a major part in your life. I mean, I'm 44, so I'm a little older than you, but, but you know, my teen years were completely molded by the golden age of hip hop, like nineties rap, you know, I mean, that Absolutely. was right. So, a, how did you get access to that music to be passionate about it? And B, when did you become a rapper and how did that happen? I, I want to yeah. hear about that. Well, interesting. I, I, I had a relationship with music all my life, but for some reason, uh, no, I mean, my mom and dad, they, you know, had nothing to do with music. But, you know, as a, as a you know, really early on, uh, I, I had a, a special relationship with music. You know, I remember when I was maybe five, uh, imitating Stevie Wonder, and you know, I just cool to say I love you and putting sunglasses and trying to I sing the lyrics without <laughs> understanding anything. Yeah. And uh, and then eventually, you know, I I, I listened. Uh, I had people in the family, uh, extended family that you know had a lot of LPs and uh, uh, that have traveled Europe and 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 had a huge collection of of albums. So you know, I had my sort of a music education um, in, uh, uh, in their homes and uh, listening to everything that was recorded from the 50s, I think. Then uh, you, you, you rightfully asked how we were exposed to this because obviously it was quite difficult. There was no internet back then and it was, uh, it was a different uh, situation. Uh, but in 1990 and 1991, uh, the um, satellite television channels became huge and uh, you know satellite dishes I mean if, if you would be in Kosovo in 1991 or 1992 uh, every apartment building looked like there's mushrooms there because of the satellite dishes everybody had a satellite uh, dish it was you know you would save money from you know the necessary things to buy a satellite dish because like with everything else that I mentioned Serbia closed down our TV station and radio station and you know you couldn't listen to anything in Albanian and uh, uh, instead of, you know, getting just the state propaganda, the, the way out was to have a satellite TV and uh, be able to listen to or watch TV shows from abroad. So uh, that was one. Uh, so your MTV raps, obviously. I was going to say, you know, Fat Five Freddy, uh, yeah. Early on. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, Ed Lover and Dr. Dre and Dr. all of these Dre, guys. I, I still remember. I used I, I, I used to have, obviously, VHS recorders. I would record most of these shows shows and re-listen to, you know, the songs that, that they were uh, playing. And then the other thing that happened is actually bootleg uh, audio tapes. Um, the, there was uh, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, cassettes 
that were uh, coming and being sold on the streets. Uh, they were all neglected, obviously. Uh, but, you know, every other week I would save up money and go out uh, in the main square and see if there's any new album that I would buy. Sometimes I would just know by chance the name of a, of a group or a name of, of, of rapper. Uh, and it wasn't only rap, actually. I've listened to all kinds of genres. And, you know, I always liked the Motown uh, 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 style, and uh, soul and, and R&B and stuff like that. But I got sort of acquainted more or, or more attached to rap music uh, because of, 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 of um, groups and rappers like, you know, Public Enemy and NWA and Ice-T and KRS-One and others. Uh, because I, 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 basically music helped me understand English early on. So I... I, I, I got a grasp of English maybe when I was 10, 11, 12. Uh, so starting out understanding the lyrics uh, that were quite anti-establishment, they, they, you know, speaking about lack of opportunities and, and discrimination, sort of I, I draw sort of a, a parallel with, with the life that we were living here. And it felt like, you know, hip-hop, uh, rap provided a, an outlet which, you know, I could use to express myself. And uh, then, you know, eventually I started writing lyrics and songs. I started learning to play the guitar. Uh, I never became a good guitar player, but you know, an average guitar player. Yeah, I still, you know, knew the, some chords. I knew some bass lines. I tried to, you know, uh, play these songs and learn these songs and then started writing in Albanian. And eventually, you know, I recorded my uh, first song in 1995, which was, an, uh, uh, you know, a difficulty in its own. Uh, but rap was basically the the, the medium which uh, I sort of saw as uh, the best uh, for me to express not only my anger or frustration with the difficulties that we were going through as people, as individuals, as young people particularly, uh, but also uh, as a, a way to express my opinions and my, my, my thoughts on how things should change. Unless you've been living under a rock, you've heard about the DeFi craze in crypto. By far the safest and simplest way to passively earn in the space is to hold your coins on Celsius. You can earn your rewards in the same crypto you're holding, or you can earn even more in their sell token. Right now, I choose to earn 5% on Ethereum in Ethereum and 15% on my stable coins in sell token. It's a little bit better than the sub 1% interest rates you can earn in a legacy bank account. Celsius was founded with the belief that crypto is the opportunity to really shake up the financial system. They're changing the standards for all financial services. They share 80% of their revenue in the form of weekly reward payments. That's how their users are earning up to 15% APY with compounding rewards. They also commit to providing the lowest cost loans on the market. Their loans start at just 1% APR. For just 1% interest, you can borrow cash against your crypto and avoid selling, which also eliminates the taxable event. It's absolutely huge. High rewards on your holdings and low interest on your loans on a platform whose mission you can believe in. Celsius is giving away $20 to every new user who joins with the promo code WOLF. Just enter the promo code in the app during registration. $20 is awarded after 30 days of maintaining a wallet balance of $200 or more. Visit Celsius.network, that's C-E-L-S-I-U-S dot network, and use promo code WOLF, W-O-L-F. That sounds very dangerous. I mean, 1995, you were in the, you know, really in the heat of Serbian yeah, occupation absolutely. and you were making political music, right? I mean, anti-establishment what? music, political music. I mean, what gave you the, the gall to, or the, the balls, I should say, to, to, to do that? Because that, that had to be hugely risky, right? I mean, if your music got out, you could well, end up a political prisoner or something as a result of doing that. We were we were still young, so I was maybe I, I was 15, 16 when we actually started recording stuff. Uh, I I couldn't record earlier because uh, there were maybe a few musicians that had some you know small track. studios uh, exactly where you could record. But then uh, but then uh, uh, another producer came. He was doing his studies in in in, in Austria, and uh, due to family reasons, he left Austria and came back. Uh, in one of the cities in Kosovo, in Mitrovica. And then I heard one of the songs that he made. And it was a game changer because, you know, nobody could provide a good production, you know, something really modern, something that I was looking for. So I didn't know the guy. I asked around. I went to his home, just showed up and said, I want to work with you. 
So that's what made it easier. So, you know, we sort of clicked. He was a fan of the mu of similar music uh, tastes, you know, stuff. As I mentioned, Stevie Wonder was my, and still is my all-time favorite. Me too. You know, guitars like George Benson. Really, I'm happy to hear that. And, and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, we started recording and basically found a, 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 a sound, which was not necessarily the sound that I originally thought is going to be. Uh, we, I listened to a bit more of gangster rap, but then it became a bit more mellow. It had more, more, more harmony and chords uh, to it, but it worked better. Uh, but we were young and I think nobody actually uh, took us that seriously at that time. Plus for the fact that, I mean, uh, I, I hear nowadays people saying, you know, it's still underground music and you know, I'm underground. There's nothing underground about anything anymore uh, because there's YouTube and there's internet. But underground was back then. We had no radio stations, uh, even if we wanted to play. We had no TV stations, we, obviously no internet. So the only way was actually the, 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 the original way of, you know, recording many cassettes, going to bars and asking DJs uh, to play this song. Eventually, we, we became interesting. People knew that one of our songs, they didn't really know who we are. Finally, we ended up in Albania in a big festival, uh, which uh, was uh, seen in Kosovo and becoming like the first rap group that you know, had some original material and, and interesting lyrics, I believe. Uh, um, it, it sort of helped. Uh, but there were problems. I mean, uh, we would do, uh, we had a parallel life, as I said, but we had our bars and smaller clubs in, even at that time. And there were uh, occasions where we would play uh, uh, with even with other bands. Uh, there was a time when we were doing uh, combined shows with a, a, a rock band. Uh, and, you know, they were helping us out doing the, the, the live part of our music uh, when we would rap. It was two of us, me and a, a friend of, our, of mine in, in the band. Uh, and there were at least two occasions where, you know, Serbian police would come and, you know, disperse the people, beat a few, uh, ask us some questions, uh, you know, uh, bully us around and just stop the, uh, stop the show. But, you know, the, the benefit was bigger. Uh, you know, people uh, like what we were, you know, talking about. They liked our music, and that was the the encouraging uh, aspect of it. And this is before '99, obviously. This is before the war, uh, when the actual war escalated uh, in the second half of '98, especially, and end of '98 and early '99. We we basically didn't release any music, although we had plans to publish an album uh, at some point in that that time. Uh, obviously, the situation was difficult and nobody felt like, you know, publishing music. So all these plans were delayed uh, until after the war. So we published our first album only in, in May of 2000. And so why did you end your music career and head off to get an economics degree or to London School of Economics? Uh, one thing led to, to another, actually. Uh, I, I joined politics uh, properly. I mean, as a, a, a joining the political party, the Democratic Party of Kosovo, I'm, as you said, the vice president uh, to this day, in 2004. I was still doing music. I published an album even after that. Uh, but I also had my plans on my, you know, uh, academic uh, uh, aspect. So uh, I, I published our last, we published our last album, I think, in yeah, uh, um, summer of 2004. Uh, had, you know, concerts and, and, and tours. Then ended up going to, to London in 2005, uh, focusing, obviously, on, on, on my studies. Came back and end of 2006. Uh, my party was in the opposition back then, so, you know, I jumped in politics full-time, uh, trying to win an election, which we did the next year. Um, one thing led to another, that was, uh, you know, the formative years of Kosovo. I became a member of parliament for the first time, I was 27. Um, and then that was basically the government that everybody knew was going to declare independence of Kosovo. Uh, so just a month, I mean, we, we created the government, it was voted in, in January 2007 and we declared independence in February uh, 2008. Uh, I mean, I was one of the signatories of the Declaration of Independence and that was the biggest honor of my life. And, um, you know, I never said I'm quitting. 
So I had still material, I had still demo, demo songs and songs that were recorded in the studio. Uh, I kept postponing, so I didn't have the actual time to focus on it like, like we used to for months at a time. Uh, so, you know, you, you record the song today and then listen to it after seven, six, seven months. It doesn't feel right. You want to redo it. And uh, some, of the lyrics, some of the lyrics are out of the time. I mean, most of our songs or some sort of an oral history. They speak about the actual time when they were published. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure if young people, that teenagers of today, when they listen to a song that we did 20 years ago, they don't have any way to connect with them because they speak about the problems of that actual time. And, you know, basically, it just, uh, just sort of uh, things fell into place and uh, we, we didn't record any, any new material ever since. That's interesting though, because um, that means you guys have progressed exceptionally well and that you've gotten past those times because I think an American rap fan will largely tell you that um, the lyrics of Public Enemy and NWA and KRS-One still resonate and that we still have the same problems largely that they were rapping about. I'm also trying to wrap my head around if like Chuck D had become vice president um, or KRS-One, which is effectively what you did. And also trying to wrap my head around the fact that we think of 1776 and the uh, in Declaration of Independence and the writing of the Constitution, and you've lived that, you know, and you're only 40 years old. But it's just so interesting to me because, you know, everyone sees America as this great light on the hill, or it did to some degree, but we still have the problems that, uh, you know, rap music was really a reaction to, and you guys have overcome them. Well, uh, uh, to some extent, but actually, no. I mean, when, when I said they wouldn't connect, there were some songs that have specific uh, issues, oh, like right. I mean, something that's going to look uh, uh, that's going to look out of uh, out of this world. Like uh, we had a song about power cuts in in the first winter of 2000. Obviously, Kosovo was, as I said, like completely uh, devastated from the war, and uh, we had just became free, become free. And then uh, that was a difficult winter because the, the, the power, uh, the electricity production company just couldn't produce enough electricity for the whole country. Uh, so, you know, there were power cuts. The, there were stuff like this. And we had songs even for that. So luckily people today, they, the young people today don't understand this. But on the other hand, some of the, uh, I, I hope, most important songs that we did, they actually still resonate to this day. We had a song in 1997, which is titled One Day It's Gonna Be Better. It still works today because we still want uh, uh, things to become better than they actually are. And uh, actually, I was pleasantly surprised, pulled by a, 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 a very good musician who's doing some New Year's Eve uh, celebratory program in one of the important TV channels here and asked me if they can do a, a version of that song. So, you know, that, that actually goes on to say that 23 years later, uh, even some of these songs work. And I, 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 I can actually say that most of the songs that would still work today, that we did, are songs that uh, basically criticize politics and politicians. And I had a lot of those. Yes, I ended up becoming one of them. Uh, but I, uh, uh, I, I really hope I haven't become one of those guys that I criticized because... I ended up in politics because I couldn't change things with, only with music. People would love that music. Uh, thankfully, they would be inspired by it. They would say, I agree, but you know that doesn't actually change the decision-making process. So combined with the fact that I was always interested in politics, as I said, the kids of the 90s here, even if you didn't want to deal with politics, politics dealt with us. Uh, you know, We were well entrenched in, in what was going on, uh, not only here and in the region, but globally. Uh, so in that sense, it was basically some sort of a, uh, 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 to me at least, some sort of a natural transition from trying to do politics through music and to actually doing politics. I think that there's a perception certainly here that a lot of people start with good with uh, ideals and positive ideas and go into politics and eventually get you know chewed up by the system and become sort of the politicians that you're talking about. So how do you maintain true to your initial ideals and your roots, but still legislate and do, you know, what's best or necessary for the country. I think there's a lot of truth to that. 
And I'm pretty sure there will be people that have known me for many years that would say, yes, he's changed. Yes, he's become one of those politicians. Uh, uh, but I, I honestly believe that I've tried. I've tried and I still try to maintain uh, and be genuine as, uh, and keep uh, the actual ideas what I went into politics. And um, yes, it's not as easy when once you're in. It's not as easy because not a lot depends on one person or a few person. It's it, it's a complicated system, the government, and there's many things that need to fall into place for good things to happen. Uh, but how I try to maintain the the memory that I was is I still do the same things that I used to do. I'm I I still you know walk around in my city. I I don't walk with bodyguards or with official cars. I go to the same bars that I used to go or the bars that the same people that used to own still own in different places. I hang out with the same people that I used to hang out. I have the same uh, a group of friends uh, that I grew up grown up with uh, that I still maintain the the, the exact same. Uh, a relationship that I had, and I try to talk to people. I mean, younger, older, um, I try to be out on the field, not only focused in the capital city where I was born and lived in Pristina, but, you know, go out in other, other parts of the country and listen to what people have to say. You know, criticize us or criticize others or just get a, a grasp of what their uh, struggle is and what their concerns are. And then obviously try to uh, get them in our, you know, daily job. It's a difference when you're in the opposition. Obviously, you have limitations of what you can do from from uh, from that uh, side of the of, of the power. And it's obviously different when you're, you're in power. And I've been in both. Uh, so it, depending on what I do, I mean, I was a minister of culture, youth, and sports, so that was my responsibility for a term. And I try to do what's best for the people uh, in the arts. Uh, industry. I didn't know what I thought was best. I listened to them. Uh, same with sports. I mean, when when I was a, became a minister of sport, uh, although Kosovo was an independent country, uh, our sports federation and our Olympic committee were not recognized by the international federations and the international Olympic committee. So it became my happy to say on the last day of my career, I actually achieved that success. So Kosovo Olympic Committee became a member of the IOC, and that opened a, a world of opportunities for our young athletes. Uh, so, and the first ever uh, Olympic uh, Games that then we took part of, we won a gold gold medal in judo, and steadily we've become one of the power powerhouses in in that sport at least. You know, so there are smaller things that don't necessarily uh, look as you know the game changer and everything. But you need to do whatever you, your responsibility is. So if it was sports, it was culture, at some point it was agriculture. You know, I, I, I try to do the best that I can uh, and that I know in working with, others, with other people that know better uh, to improve uh, the situation there. So your official currency is the euro, right? You have your own central bank and you guys are working to become a part of the European Union. Um, where do you think central bank digital currencies, uh, I guess, first, well, you know, what's the future of the euro uh, becoming digital, A, and B, you know, does you, what is your central bank's current policies towards, you know, monetary policy, theoretically, maybe getting into Bitcoin or, uh, you know, in context of everything that's happening in the world right now? Well, I think, uh, well, obviously, 2020 has been... Uh, unexpectedly uh, complicated for everyone uh, with the pandemic and everything uh, and that has definitely affected also uh, the way of thinking and doing in the in the financial world and also in the world of decision makers uh, when it comes to euro obviously we've adopted the, the the currency of the European most of the European Union countries um, because it was uh, easier uh, for Kosovo uh, not to emit its own uh, currency, and hence we don't really have our own independent monetary policy. Uh, uh, but um, the way I see it, obviously, I, I, I'm, I'm a strong believer that they will end up, everyone will end up in having at least issuing digital currencies. I see and I follow all the talk about, you know, digital dollar, uh, digital yuan, and digital euro at some point. 
But the fact of the matter is that European Union is a, is a, is a slow-moving organization. Uh, the European Union is very bureaucratic uh, and quite conservative in that sense. So even the European Central Bank, from my perspective, uh, will take time uh, to uh, be able to uh, understand the fact that they need to move in the digital uh, sphere and also be more uh, tolerant and accepting of the, the cryptocurrencies. Uh, I, if I would bet, uh, if I was a betting man, I would bet that they would first be able to, uh, you know, go on the direction of uh, issuing a digital euro, then of uh, accepting Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. But you know, that's going to be uh, uh, absolutely in the works in the years to come. Um, uh, on the Kosovo perspective, obviously, we cannot affect that. We're not a member state of the European Union. We're in. Uh, aspiring members, same as most of the countries in our vicinity in the Western Balkans. Uh, but due to this fact, all of our legislation needs to be in line and aligned with the European Union legislation, also in the financial sector. Uh, the uh, Central Bank of Kosovo is one of the really credible institutions here. Uh, but so far, the menu of uh, their operations are, is quite limited uh, in that sense that they, they unfortunately cannot go way beyond the actual regulations and, and decisions that the European Central Bank issues because of this fact that you would be seen as a country not respecting, you know, the Senate and then it would be uh, extra hurdles in our way to uh, become an integrated. But I don't necessarily see that as the biggest obstacle. Yeah. yeah, you'd be shooting yourself but in the foot. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, so that's the problem. Otherwise, there are uh, people in our central bank uh, that, in you know, very senior positions that are, uh, let's say, blockchain slash Bitcoin friendly. They understand uh, how, how important this uh, this is, and I'm pretty sure that, given the the opportunity, they would be uh, quite uh, quite uh, open to you know trying to see how we can integrate the cryptocurrency in the in overall finan financial system. What is the official, I guess, government stance towards uh, cryptocurrency among the citizens? Not obviously investing in Bitcoin as a country, but um, I know that at least for a period, mining was extremely popular in Kosovo, right? Yes, it was. Um, I mean, in 2016, late 2016, there were first uh, 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 operation, mining operations. There were a lot of people mining uh, Ethereum, some Bitcoin, and some other cryptocurrencies uh, actually in that time. Um, in 2017, it became big. And then in 2017, like everywhere else, the retail uh, became, became huge. So everybody was, you know, wanted to get a piece of this. Uh, people that, you know, I used to try to, you know, uh, uh, convert in 2016 sort of came back and asking you know i remember this thing that you were like well how can i buy bitcoin what can i do and what should i do you know uh, they were looking at the prices as everywhere else they, they would see xrp being cheap and say oh let's buy this because it's cheaper then people just spend money without actually knowing much uh, but it just became this idea that you know you can just make money real fast uh, obviously that changed after the uh, the decline in 2018, it's sort of coming back uh, uh, again uh, now. Uh, but the government doesn't really have a position. I mean, I have been quite, I've worked with all of our finance ministers all over the years. Uh, uh, one of them, which I trust most uh, in the financial and economic sense, and in his mind, is a good friend of mine, he's from my party. And uh, I wouldn't say that we fully agree. On, uh, on the cryptocurrency aspect. He's more conservative, obviously. He's uh, from a different, uh, different breed and different school, uh, but he's tolerant. And he was also, at some point, uh, uh, the governor of the central bank. Uh, nevertheless, I, I, uh, the fact that Kosovo is a young country and we have younger uh, members of parliament and, uh, and ministers in the government, uh, I think uh, there will be a point where more people will uh, will uh, understand and be ready to accept and even eff effectuate legislation. 
things are happening in the region. For example, Albania, which is the country closest to Kosovo and our neighboring country, they've just passed a, a one of the most advanced uh, pieces of legislation in all of the world, in Europe. I mean, you may remember a couple of years, last couple of years, we were all reading and talking about Malta, at some point about Bermuda, and then other countries. I, I can guarantee you the law that Albania has passed is quite uh, more advanced than all of them. It sort of opens up legally the whole country to issuing cryptocurrencies, trading cryptocurrencies, um, uh, streamlining the opening of exchanges in the country, and uh, uh, making this completely legal and within organized within the actual financial system of the country. And I think that's going to be one of the good examples which we will try to replicate uh, in the near future uh, in Kosovo. It would also open up opportunities for uh, you know new actors to to jump in and use uh, the, the the legislation uh, and the opportunities that that provides. There are very few countries that are that openly friendly, right? I mean, you touched on Malta and Absolutely. nobody talked about Malta before, but huge crypto companies have moved their operations to Malta Binance, for example, right? So, I mean, if you can affect that change and can compel the government to be one of the first, it could bring it, especially with the 10% tax rate, it could bring a tremendous amount of exposure and business into Kosovo or any country. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was the thinking behind the Albanian government's initiative to to do this. And now they're they're uh, a couple of steps ahead of everyone here in the region. Uh, but I'm pretty sure it uh, it's still uh, early phases, so it's still open. Uh, it's an open field for most of the countries to follow suit. So I mean, Kosovo is 12 years old. Uh, you've been a part of it from the the very beginning. How do you uh, avoid the pitfalls and traps? that uh, we've seen with every developed country after 50 years or 100 years or 200 years, you know, the same sort of patterns that uh, seem to have played out over and over again in, in history in most places. It's hard to predict the future. And obviously, um, nothing is, you know, uh, all roses anywhere. Uh, there were things that affect us. Um, uh, like they affect the region or Europe or the world for that matter. Uh, and things are not e very easy for, for, for everyone. Uh, but uh, I think uh, the, the, the driving engine of Kosovo is and will be its, uh, its people, and especially its young people, because it's most of the people of Kosovo in any case. Uh, so, you know, my, uh, my hope and my, my, my bet is on, on the people of Kosovo and the young people. Here, I mean, uh, uh, if they, if we would be able to provide them with more opportunities, uh, they have a lot of talent. Uh, there's been companies that have started in, in, in incubators in Kosovo who have now become multi-million-dollar companies uh, that have operations, you know, in various uh, countries in the world. I mean, we've had uh, in other areas a lot of success. Uh, we've, we're a small country of less than two million, but you know, we've given the world some of its biggest pop stars right now, such as Dua Lipa and Rita Ora and, uh, you know, even Bibi Reza from, from Kosovo, from, I mean, Albanian from, uh, from around here uh, and others. And, you know, I think there's, there's this entrepreneurial spirit that has helped Kosovo people throughout uh, the difficult period, not only since 1989, but even before that, and that still remains, which is much more uh, dynamic than the government that serves them, uh, which will definitely also uh, uh, up the level for us that serve in the government uh, or for those that will come after us. So interesting. It sounds like, you know, building a new company. Young, uh, make sure it that your, your young talent has access to opportunity and resources. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. That's a, so very interesting. So um, what do you think that uh, the future looks like in Kosovo, you know, in, in five, 10 years? I mean, obviously we're talking about hundreds of years and avoiding these pitfalls, but what are the, what are the biggest plans that you guys have that you'd like to see uh, come to fruition soon? Well, in this overall political uh, uh, sense, uh, which connects with everything else, is the fact that Kosovo wants to become a member of the European Union like all the other 
this is quite important because of sort of directs and keeps a framework of those standards is not easy. Uh, so, you know, we have a lot of homework, uh, but that homework is important. So I don't really expect that the countries in the region will become EU members in the next five years. Uh, but potentially, uh, I think in the next 10 years, in the next decade, we would be uh, able to join the EU and become members of this uh, political uh, and economic family. Uh, that would be quite important for, for the whole region because EU was created as, a, uh, as an uh, institution, as an organization, uh, as an alliance which bases peace and reconciliation as its you know, most important founding principle. And uh, that would be helpful for all of our countries to leave the, the past behind, uh, sort of not forget about it, obviously, but just try to look towards the future, which would be very important for the, uh, for the young people, for the younger generations, for our children and those that come after. Uh, so in that overall sense, that would be important. On the other hand, I expect that you know, Kosovo will grow, opportunities will grow, uh, e economy will grow. I mean, we were uh, able enough to have uh, positive economic growth throughout the, uh, uh, you know, the economic uh, downfall in 2009 and 10. I mean, everybody was either in recession or in stagnation, but notwithstanding the fact that we're a small economy, we still maintained uh, an average growth of 4%. It's a small economy, but still it has helped. It has helped in keeping the, 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 the arrow up, I mean. And um, yeah, there's uh, many things that need to happen. Uh, one of the important things that we have to focus is trying to find, a, 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 to achieve a, a peace treaty with Serbia. We still have our own our problems. Serbia does not recognize Kosovo. Uh, they still try to undermine everything about Kosovo in the sense of, you know, becoming uh, recognized fully internationally. We're not members of the United Nations. We cannot do that because of uh, Russia's veto uh, power in the Security Council. And Russia does that because of uh, supporting Serbia's official stance. So these things, they look very political, but the fact of the matter is that they actually uh, uh, hurt the, the, the daily lives of the people. I mean, just to, 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 to simplify it, uh, not being a member of the UN uh, pro basically prohibits us from being members of the, uh, you know, the United Nations uh, uh, organization which deals with uh, communication uh, 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 and stuff like that. So because of that, we don't even have a top, top level domain, Kosovo, you know, or we had years where we didn't have our country code. And even to get that country code, there needed to be a separate uh, arrangement and what have you, and discussions and negotiations and stuff, which comes very natural and normal and, and very easy for um, other countries. So although these are purely political, and I, I can't blame people for not being interested uh, in this, it's the job of us politicians and whoever is in the government uh, to try to achieve these solutions because it, they actually affect the lives of everyone. Makes sense. So I heard you guys have a statue of Bill Clinton. Is that, is that true? <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, when you said, you know, uh, we, uh, we were the, 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 you know, the like, uh, in Kosovo, you will not find a more pro-American country anywhere. Actually, uh, in the Gallup poll, I think it's a competition between Kosovo and Israel. Usually we win the first place. Sometimes we got the second if they win the first. Uh, but it is the most pro-American country, and for you know uh, uh, right reasons. Uh, the, the intervention of the, the NATO uh, troops uh, in 1999, in March of 1999, which effectively ended uh, the war uh, uh, in Kosovo and the expulsion and the attempted genocide that former uh, uh, Slobodan, uh, leader of Serbia, Slobodan Milosevic, was, was, was uh, uh, basically implemented here, uh, was initiated by the United States. Uh, Bill Clinton was the president back then, and he was uh, basically the, the, the driving force behind that. But not only him, it was Madeleine Albright, who was the Secretary of State, Wesley Clark, who was the NATO commander, 
and other uh, uh, European leaders, such as Tony Blair of the United Kingdom. Uh, but uh, for Kosovo, the love for America is uh, uh, basically a testimony to our, uh, 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 to how we feel indebted to you, to you for helping us become free. Uh, because there were other instances before us where, you know, war, uh, you know, dragged for years and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people died, were displaced forever, never came back. And that might have been the fate of Kosovo, uh, probably, if not for the intervention of NATO, which was uh, basically uh, initiated by the U.S. And when it comes to Kosovo, there was always, there's always been a bipartisan approach. There was never a difference between Republicans or uh, or, uh, you know, uh, de Democrats. It was George W. Bush who was in, in the office uh, when he recognized Kosovo's independence. And uh, throughout the years, we've had uh, uh, bipartisan support in the Congress or whoever was in the White House. And it's true that there's a Bill Clinton statue. It's actually very close to a famous uh, boutique, which is called Hillary. Uh, and the Bill Clinton uh, Boulevard intersects with the Bob Dole Street. Uh, and further up is the George uh, W. Bush uh, Avenue. There's a Madeleine Albright Square. There's a Wesley Clark Street, and uh, there's probably also a lot of a lot of other streets that are named uh, uh, by uh, Americans that have uh, helped the people of Kosovo to become free and liberated. Wow, that that's amazing. Maybe one day we can get a, a memory statue in the United States. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Maybe, uh, maybe some small street somewhere in a, in a lost village. Yeah. So, uh, where could everybody? Uh, uh, we can get your. Go ahead. Go ahead. We, we will see. Ahead, we can get uh, a street named after you at some point, probably. I'm ready. Let's do it. I've always dreamed of having a street named yeah. after me. <laughs> I have streets in my nickname, so it's a natural uh, segue, right? <laughs> um, yeah, sure. Well, so where can everybody uh, keep up with you and follow you after this interview? I didn't get that. Uh, where can everybody follow you after this interview? Oh, well, you know, I'm on Twitter for um, some years. Uh, that's my Twitter handle and my first and last name, namely Krasnici. Uh, I'm not most active there. But, you know, I, I post stuff about my, my Bitcoin trades uh, or crypto trades, politics, uh, but I'm not, not the most active. I have an Instagram account, a Facebook account, none of them very active. <laughs> but uh, Twitter is, uh, I think, the, 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 the social network of choice. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. It's funny. I mean, you're literally like sitting in the House of Parliament doing this interview between meetings. So I, I, I know how busy you are and really appreciate you taking the time. And um, it's just such an interesting perspective that is probably so foreign to most you know, people in countries like the United Kingdom, the United States, where we just take for granted that these things happened hundreds of years ago. And for you, it's you know, within the last few decades. Yeah, well, you were lucky. I wish we didn't have to do this. But uh, on the other hand, we had the historical uh, duty and honor uh, to be uh, part of this uh, development. Um, but uh, thank you, Scott, for having me. As you know, I've been following for, for a long time. I, I respect uh, you a lot and what you do. I'm, you know, a, a regular leader of your, of your newsletter and of uh, your, your listener of your, of your podcast. So I'm, I'm really honored to be uh, one of your uh, guests on your show. Well, the honor is all mine. Thanks once again, and uh, I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Bye. That's dope.